Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Okay, who needs a who needs a, 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 a prayer answered? If it's you, if you're sick in body and you need healed, come up here in faith. If you are struggling with a thing, come up here in faith. If, if you need a breakthrough today, whether it's addiction, whether it's sickness, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's strife in your heart, strife in your family, the thing that is causing contention in your mind or your heart right now, I need you to run up here right now. And then those of you that have a heart full of fire and a heart full of faith that can offer a prayer of faith, come and surround these people. So if you're needing prayer, put your hand up. If you're needing prayer, put your hand up. And then, so come on up. I need y'all to step out. I need y'all to step out. And then all the rest of you that are here to offer up a prayer of faith, because in James chapter one, guys, this is a big deal. We are not going to be tossed to and fro by the doubts in our minds. We're not going to believe for one minute and not believe the next minute. So we are going to offer our prayer in faith. Hold up your hand if you don't have somebody surrounding you. Hold up your hand if you don't have somebody surrounding you. Who else is there? Who else is there? I feel like there's more in the room. I am telling you guys, he is the God of breakthrough. And he has been talking to me about how he is invading the hardest places. The hardest places. Not the soft, hungry places. Those two. But he's saying the hard places that seems impossible to man. He is the God of breakthrough. And we are just calling on that God of breakthrough today. So God, we just ask you right now to release your power of of healing in Jesus' name. God, we receive your power of healing right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There was a, a phrase that was going through my heart during worship that I just feel like is applicable here. I just felt like the Lord was saying that following Jesus is glorious. There's real glory as we follow him that we experience now and in the age to come. But it was followed by this. Following Jesus is not easy. It's glorious, but it is not easy. Because we're living in a time when we're not seeing the fullness of the kingdom of God manifested in our midst. And as we are pressing in and believing God for healing, that's a reality we have to face, right? It's difficult when we're not getting healed, when we're not getting a breakthrough in the exact moment that we want, right? But there is glory coming. And, and I, I felt this this morning when I was praying. A lot, when we're going through difficulty, it's almost like that's what we see, this massive, it's almost like a funnel around us of difficulty, and we're putting the top of the funnel up to heaven, just like, God, just give me one little drop. But all we're seeing is the, the difficulty around us, but God's like, flip the script. Point that funnel up. Because Ephesians 1 says, I have given you every blessing in the spiritual places every blessing in the spiritual places it's not that we're getting one little drop he's like open up to me position yourself and i will release glory into your spirit peace joy patience perseverance love that manifests at a time when we're going through the most difficult things this is what god wants to bring us into guys that when we're feeling the press when we're feeling the difficulty that we're flipping the script and we're opening up our funnel to heaven to receive of the spiritual blessings that he has for us right now. 
And I'm not saying that it's easy, but when our heart is pressed and the yuck comes out of us and we realize, oh my goodness, I really need Jesus. That's what he wants us to do. Flip the script, open yourself up to receive more of him. That's where the glory comes in. So God, we just thank you today. God, we thank you today that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God, that is a truth, that's a fact, that's a reality. God, help us position ourselves as we wait for healing, as we wait for the breakthrough. Help us position ourselves, God, and open up and receive. Receive from you, God. We thank you what you've made available to us now, and it's ever increasing into the age to come, God. So we give you thanks today, Father. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome again to Boonville Worship Center. We are so happy to gather together to worship the Lord, to gather around his word, to receive from him. How many of you know it's the, the, the God says that we need his word. It's like bread. It's like life to us. We need the word to sustain us just as much as we need food to sustain our physical bodies. We need the word to feed us, to edify us, to teach us, to correct us. So, Lord, we, we again thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts to hear. God, open up our hearts to receive. God, the life of your word. Lord, not just the physical words entering our ears and into, entering into our comprehension. God, will we pray for that transfer of life, that transfer of hope to our inner man in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you remember last week, um, I spoke on, again, for a second time, on how God speaks and how we learn to discern his voice. Um, so I'm continuing in that vein again, probably for uh, the last time in this series. But I spoke the, the first time a couple months ago on how we seek to hear, to hear God speak because we're created for intimacy, if you remember that, that this is why we want to hear him speak. We're created for intimacy. We also seek to hear God's voice because we want to obey him, right? There's many, many verses about, about us not just hearing the word, but obeying the word. So we're created to be led by God, created to obey his commands. And we also seek to hear God speak so that we can receive help and direction for our life. So we want to hear his voice so that we receive help and direction. We need his counsel. We need his discernment and his, his direction. And then last week I spoke about how we seek to hear God's voice so that we can participate in the fruitful labor of ministry with the gifts that God has given us. So we need discernment to hear his voice. We need to be able to discern what he is saying so that we can be fruitful in ministry, whatever that ministry is whether that's the ministry of prayer, the ministry of the word, the ministry of discipleship, or any other gift or calling that God gives us, we need to be able to discern his voice. But today I want to really begin to put that into a bigger context. Have you ever been studying a topic, and when you go to study that topic, it's like you, maybe you, you read the book or you watch the video, and at the end you're just like, I think I learned something, but I don't, I don't know how to apply it to my life. I don't know how to, as I said last week, get my hands on it. I don't know how to 
how to flesh it out. So when we're talking about hearing God's voice, it's, it's one thing to just list all of the ways that a human can perceive that God is speaking. Right? We, we, want, we want to know that, that God can speak. He can remind us of a verse. He can, he can speak uh, a still, small voice in our heart. He can give us an, an image or a picture or a memory. He can give us a dream. That, you know, there, God speaks in various ways. But it's one thing just to list the ways that God speaks, but it's another thing to anchor it into the actual life that we live. So today I want to anchor what it means to hear God's voice specifically and specifically how the impact of trials and stress hinder our ability to hear God. How many of you know trials and stress impact negatively our ability to discern God's voice, to hear it, to receive the hope from it, and to apply it. So I'm going to be focusing in um, on the story of the Exodus. And there are many, many chapters that cover the story of the Exodus, so I can't cover 15 plus chapters to give you everything. But we're going to walk through the story and we're going to get to a critical juncture where the core of this message really is fleshed out. But we're going to start with the context. So lessons from Pharaoh and the Exodus. This is the context. So God prophesied Israel's future slavery in Egypt and their future deliverance from slavery right from the moment of his first covenant with Abram. How many of you knew that? God prophesied ahead of time. He proclaimed before it ever happened, hundreds of years before it happened, he proclaimed to Abram what was going to happen to his future generations. So we see that in Exodus 15, verse 13 through 36. It says, God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So here God was encountering Abram, and he was prophesying ahead of time, saying, your descendants will be enslaved. They will be under bondage for 400 years, but I will also bring them out. It's hard for us to even wrap our head around the reality of 400 years of bondage. And perhaps even more hard to wrap our head around God preordaining it. That somehow God is both fully good and yet he also preordained the enslavement and suffering of Israel for 400 years. Have you ever really thought of that? Have you ever thought of the reality of you being in slavery yourself and then your dad being in slavery and his dad being in slavery and his dad being in slavery. 
Have you, th- have you thought through the, 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 the weight of that, how difficult that would be? It would feel like it was never going to end. It would feel like your fate is sure that you too would die in slavery and your children would die in slavery. But here we see in Genesis 26, God later appeared to Isaac to confirm and pass down his promise to Abraham. Genesis 26, 24 says, The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. This is a whole other message, but I believe this storyline shows the character of God and the nature of God to release what I would term as a multi-generational promise, multi-generational prophecies, prophecies that are bigger than your life, the word of the Lord that is bigger than what will or won't happen in our lifetime. We are part of a bigger picture. Abraham had to believe the word of the Lord, had to carry that word of the Lord all of his life, and then at the very end, pass down the word of the Lord to his children and faithfully say that God will do what he said even if God didn't do it in my lifetime. So that's what's happening. So God himself is, is, is encountering Isaac and saying, I do not fear, I will be with you, I will multiply you. I am the God of your, uh, of your father Abraham. And then we see God then promised to Jacob that he will be with them and that he would keep them wherever they went. So here it's getting closer. The timeline is getting closer to 400 years of slavery. And in Genesis 28:15 it says God says your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God is reiterating the promise to every subsequent generation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God spoke clearly to Jacob in visions to confirm that he was supposed to take his family down to Egypt. So Genesis 46, 2-4, God spoke to Israel in a vision in the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. So if we had any wonder whether or not it was fully God's will, God says right here, don't be afraid, go down to Egypt. See, God knows something. God knows that this is going to be the transition into 400 years of slavery. And God is still saying, don't be afraid. I will be with you. I will bring you back, but go. Obey my voice. Obviously, again, they don't fully understand what they're getting into. But they're stepping into not just the trial of their life, but the trial of their children, their children's children, 
their children's children's children. They're, 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 this is the transition. But here we see Jacob. He passed down the prophetic promise to his son Joseph when he died. Genesis 48, 21, it says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. So Jacob, again, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is now passing down the word of the Lord to his children. He's passing it down to Joseph. And then Joseph, we see later in Genesis 50, Joseph gathers his brothers and passes on the prophetic promise that was given to him by his father. Genesis 50, 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Talk about a multi-generational promise that God had ordained to not come to pass in the lifetime of Abraham, the lifetime of Isaac, or the lifetime of Jacob. We have to look at this story and say, God, this is somewhat of, this is a glimpse of who you are. This is who you are, God. You're, you're a multi-generational God. You're a God who speaks. And then you choose, O oh Lord, when to bring it to pass. And let me and let my generation not be the generation who shakes their fist and says, God, you haven't done it. You aren't bringing it to pass. So then God began to fulfill the first part of his promise. While they were in the land of Egypt, they grew from 70 people to over 600,000 men, not including women and children, right? So part of God's promise was, I will multiply you. You will become a great nation. I will multiply you. So here in the context of Egypt, in the context of slavery, God begins to fulfill that promise, that first part of the promise, Exodus 1-7. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. So here we see the, the great multiplication. So now Exodus 1, 8 through 12 says, A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it be in the event of war that they also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and go up from this land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labors. They built for Pharaoh storage cities of Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. So here we see this transition. We see God passing on the promise, future slavery, future bondage, future deliverance. I will be with you, I will stay with you, and you will yet come out of the land of Egypt. So they go down to Egypt, they multiply, and then they begin to be enslaved. This was the narrative of the, this king of Egypt. This was what he believed about the, 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 what was happening. He believed that the Israelite people, they needed to be oppressed in order to be kept in check. So God foreknew all of this. He foreknew the 
He foreknew, he preordained the breakthrough before a single whip had ever graced the back of an Israelite. Before a derogatory statement or an authoritarian command was ever released against the people in slavery, God had already preordained the breakthrough. He had already chosen the time and the people that would be involved in, the re- in their release from slavery. So and then we see a cry for deliverance is heard. Exodus 2, 23 through 25. It says, Now it happened in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the slavery. And they cried out. Their cry for help because of their slavery rose up to God. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel and God knew them. So the pressure of slavery produced this groan, this cry, this, this, this cry of the people of God, where are you? God, do you see? Do you feel the pain that we feel? Do you see the blood that drips from our backs? Do you see Do you see the oppression that I felt? Do you see the oppression that my fathers felt? Do you see the oppression that my father's father felt? This cry for deliverance comes forth. So great pressure brings out of us a cry. It brings out of us a groan. And I have the choice to either bring that groan, that cry from pressure. I can choose to bring that before God Or you can take the weight of that pressure that you feel and you can turn it into other things. You can turn it into motivation, to anger, to bitterness, retaliation. Or you can take pressure and turn it into temptation, to various sins, to to cope and, and medicate the hardship. But in Exodus 3, God makes abundantly clear that his nature is one who cares and knows about affliction. So I don't have time to directly quote all of these, but I'm going to give you the phrases that come out of Exodus 3. These are things that God says. God says, I have surely seen the affliction. He says, I'm aware of the sufferings. He says, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. He says, I've seen the oppression He says, certainly I will be with you. And then he says, I am indeed concerned about you. How many of us in the crisis, in the pressure, especially if that pressure and that crisis seems to be perpetual, how many of us in that place can identify that this is the nature of God? How many of us will feed on this truth that this is the nature of God? He sees He's aware. He hears the cries. He sees the oppression. Certainly he will be with us. And he's concerned about us. Are those things that we cling to when under pressure? So then we see God giving signs to increase faith in God's coming deliverance. So God gives Moses three signs to convince the people of God's promise of deliverance. 
in Exodus 4, 1 through 9. So we know this part of the story. So God said, tells Moses, he, to, what do you have in your hand? I have a staff. Throw it on the floor. The staff turns into a snake. God tells him, pick it up by the tail. It turns back into a staff. And then he says, put your hand in your little pouch, your bosom. Take it out. It turns leprous. Put it back in. Take it out. The leprosy's gone. And then he says, if, if the people still won't believe you, then go get water out of the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water will turn to blood. So God is giving Moses help. He's giving Moses signs to perform in front of the masses. Because right now what we have is we have God speaking the promise of deliverance to Moses. And Moses is not the multitudes, right? So God is speaking to Moses saying, this is who I am. I will surely do this. I, I, will, I will send you to Egypt to deliver them. So then we see Moses display the signs of deliverance in Exodus 4, 30 through 31. It says, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord spoke to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. Verse 31, so the people believed and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. It worked, right? The signs. The signs were displayed in front of the people. And the people immediately were like, yes, deliverance has come to us. Lord, we worship you. We bow low and we worship you. How many of you know the story our story of freedom, our story of deliverance, our story of coming through hardship is often a little more complex and complicated than that. But we know that when we hear that, that promise of deliverance, we're like, yes, Lord, pick me. Pick me for healing. Pick me for deliverance. Pick me for hope. Pick me for breaking off depression and oppression. So when that voice of a prophecy is released and we, and we receive it. We say, yes, God, yes, my day has come. The anointing will be released and I will be freed from oppression. But then we see the devil's strategy to prevent faith for coming deliverance. The very same day, I mean, if you read the story, it literally says the same day. The same day after being told to release the Israelites, Pharaoh increased the labors of Israel. And let's pay attention to Pharaoh's narrative, which is quite opposite of God's. Both Pharaoh's identification of the problem and Pharaoh's identification of the solution are opposite to the truth. So Exodus 5, 7 through 9. Uh, this is Pharaoh saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and st gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it. And here is Pharaoh's discernment of what the problem is. It says, because they are lazy, therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it. What's his end goal? It says, so that they will pay no attention 
to false words. This was Pharaoh's narrative. This is what he believed. He's saying they're lazy. That's why they have received a message of hope. They are lazy. And the solution, increase the labor so that they will not believe the message of hope so that they will pay no attention to false words. How many of you know that in seeking to receive the truth and seeking to believe the truth, it's not just that there's truth and then on the other side there's this neutral words. On the flip side of truth, there's another narrative and that other narrative is looking at the truth and releasing false accusations against the truth. So the false narrative is, those are empty words. Those are false words. The, the, the proclamation of hope is false. The proclamation of deliverance is false. So there's this, it's, it's, it's not passive. There's literally an active assault against the prophecy. And this isn't just an active assault against the prophecy. This is an active assault against the prophetic word that was released to Abram, that was handed down to his children, was handed down to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. It keeps getting handed down. This is a multi-generational word of the Lord. So when it's first released, there's hope. When it's first released, we're like, yes, let's bow down and worship. Let's bow down and worship because God's going to release his deliverance. But the message of the enemy is increase the labor, make it heavier upon the men so that they're so overburdened that they will pay no attention to false words. So let's learn from Pharaoh and observe how the enemy works. The enemy flips the narrative and he purposefully increases pressure and chaos so that the very message of promised freedom can't be believed. He literally flips the, flips the narrative, increases the chaos, increases the pressure so we can't hear. And then we see that flipping the narrative worked. In light of the weight of increased oppression, Israel chose not to believe God even after signs were given to prove Moses had met with Yahweh and that Yahweh was promising deliverance. So Exodus 6, 9, this is that verse that is at the center of this message. Exodus 6, 9 says, So Moses spoke to the sons of Israel. So this is after difficulty had increased. Moses is again speaking. You would think, you would hope that the, that the message of, of deliverance would, would ring, would, would resound in their hearts and they would cling to it. But here we see in Exodus 6, 9, it says, But they did not listen to Moses on account of, of their despondency and cruel bondage. What is despondency? It's a state of low spirits caused by loss of hope or courage. And if you look at the Hebrew word for this word despondency, we see it means a shortness of spirit. In other words, they're crushed in spirit. The wind is knocked out of them because of the cruel bondage. I'm going to read it in a number of other translations so we get the sense for what this is. In the New King James, it says, because of anguish of spirit and cruel, cruel bondage. In the Legacy Standard Bible, it says, on account of their weakness of spirit and hard slavery. 
And Lexham English Bible says, because of discouragement and because of hard work. And the ESV says, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And then in the, in the New Living Translation, just to back up a, a, a phrase, it says, they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by their brutality of slavery. They refused to listen. In other words, pressure and hardship severely impact and limit our ability to listen to God's voice. Even if that message from God is the very message of breakthrough that we need. The very message of God, the weighty word of the Lord, that, that food to our soul, that word of the Lord that can cut, that can pierce, that can divide between bone and marrow, the very word that, that holds all things together, the word of God, that very word of God in pressure and in chaos, because of the shortness of our spirit, because of a broken spirit, because of the weight of oppression, we are tempted, like the Israelites, to say, sorry, Moses, I can't believe you. I can't believe you. Here we have one of the most well-documented prophecies from God in all of Scripture that was passed down generation after generation. And remember, the first portion of the prophecy already came to pass. They went into Egypt as a family of 70. Now there's 600,000 men. So the first half of the prophecy already came to pass. But the fact that the first half, half of the prophecy came to pass, it, 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 it's almost like they didn't even care. Because the weight of oppression was so great, they're like, I can't listen, I can't hear. The oppression is so great. I mean, there's chaos in my emotions. There's chaos. Every day that I wake up, I enter into oppression and I, and I go to bed in oppression. I can't receive it. So the flesh speaks loudest under pressure. How many of you know that? Have you ever noticed that our flesh speaks loudest when we are most in that chaos? If we scratch the surface of the topic, we could restate the famous advice to don't go shopping when you're hungry. So we know this principle, don't go shopping when you're really hungry. You'll end up spending more. But perhaps that example is more funny than powerful. Perhaps it doesn't really touch our hearts, though it does make us jolly. But if we dial down and really think about this, if we're honest, we will confess, at least within ourselves, that in these seasons of increased pressure, we are exponentially more tempted and likely to consider and think about and stew over things like divorce, returning to an old addiction for comfort, embracing bitterness as our new normal, and whatever other reasonable ideas come into our head when our hearts are hurting. Right? This is what we're talking about. The voice of the flesh speaks loudest under pressure. So when we are under pressure, oftentimes what happens is if we discern that we feel something negative, we immediately jump into the self-justification phase. Of course I'm angry. Of course I'm bitter. Look at what happened. If I gave you all the details, if I puked out all of the negative information about what's happened to me, of course I'm bitter, of course I'm angry. 
So we self-justify. But we, the, the, the problem with chaos and pressure is that self-justifying doesn't even remotely answer the question of where did that voice come from? Where are, did those ideas come from? Where did the narrative come from? Because here with Israel, we got two narratives going on. We got the narrative of God saying, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen, I feel, I hear, I see. I'm coming, I haven't left you, and I'm coming to deliver you. And then we have the other side of the narrative saying, you lazy bunch. I'm going to have to increase the pressure, increase the chaos, so that you don't obey or hear the false words coming from over there. We got two narratives. That same reality of double narrative happens now. It happens here. It happens in our, in our present day life. As we're walking through life and, in, in, and encountering pressure, we too are faced with that double narrative. Are we going to believe that, the, the, that, that through hell and high water that God is faithful and He will bring us through even if He has preordained difficulty in your life? There's not a contradiction. See, because we could hear that phrase like, what? God preordained for me to go through trials and tribulations and hardships? But is it a contradiction? Can a loving God, full of these phrases that I gave, right, it says, I see, I hear, I feel, I, I, I haven't left you, I, I, I want you with me. Is there a contradiction between going through trials and the reality of God's nature is one who sees and cares. There's no contradiction. So even if God preordained for us to go through hardship in our life, I can still settle on God's side of the narrative and say, God, I believe you. I trust. Hardship and moments of pain are inevitable in this life, but how, it's how we internalize, how we process, how we interpret the events that either lead to health or the building of demonic strongholds in our mind and emotions. In other words, both the flesh and the demonic are more than willing to feed our soul with false comfort and with a false narrative that will prevent us from listening to and receiving the actual voice of God. If I'm not, if, 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 if I'm not learning, if I'm not learning this truth that in chaos, the loudest voice I'm going to hear in my soul is going to be my flesh or the demonic? Like, that is a true statement. The loudest voice you will hear in your soul, that, 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 that screaming thing inside of you, whatever it's saying, whatever it's saying your, your reality is or your future will be, what you, that thing screaming inside of you, we should know. Just automatically we should know. Wait a second. If there's that much volume to it, if there's that much, ah, it's probably not the word of the Lord that's going to call me to be humble, that's going to call me to embrace the fruit of the Spirit, that's going to call me to deny myself, that's going to call me to, I don't care how hard your day was, sin is not an option for you. So we must pay attention to the narrative being built in our head when in seasons of stress and pressure, the loudest voices in our head and in our heart in times of pressure are going to be the voice of the flesh 
and the voice of demonic influence, seeking to sow seeds that will mature into sin. It's one thing to be tempted with thoughts of aggression or thoughts of retaliation or thoughts of, man, I hurt. We, we, we've all felt little pricks of bitterness and pain. We've all felt the pricks of, of, of fear and anxiety. But if I nurture that, then that seed will grow up and it will bear fruit and that fruit will be sin and death. Right? That's what the Bible says. So the voice of temptation and deception speak loudest in chaos. The voice of external temptation and, de and demonic deception also speak loudest in chaos. So this is what happened to the Israelites. Their view of God grew small as their view of suffering dominated their emotions. The view of suffering, that narrative, dominated their emotions so much that their view of God grew small. They couldn't comprehend how God would deliver them out of such suffering. If you, God, are so powerful, why did our situation get worse after you promised freedom? Right? That uh, Accusations like that are often mixed in. Of like, God, how could you do this? You were like the, the, you, you prophesied, I, I did the thing, I bowed down and I worshiped God. I received it. So then there's this accusation of God, you didn't, you didn't keep your end of the deal. So of course I'm bitter and angry. You didn't deliver me. The hardship got worse. So when we're talking about how God speaks and how to discern his voice, it's not to be detached from the actual context. It's one thing to list off ways that God speaks, but entirely different to put those ways that God speaks and look at them in light of how crisis and stress hinder us from hearing God's voice. So I'm going to list, uh, I gave this a couple months ago, uh, something like this, not the exact same list. But I'm going to relist some ways that God speaks in light of the topic, in light of this reality of pressure. So we know that God often speaks as a still, small voice, right? God often speaks as a still, small voice. In other words, if what is pounding through my head and my heart is not still and it's not small, the likelihood that it's God, unless it is directly calling me to deny myself and worship God, then it's probably not God. So how do I know if it's my flesh or a demon? How do I know if it's my flesh or, or demonic in nature? I mean, obviously, sometimes they're very much entwined. But I would say this. The flesh, your flesh, your flesh, obviously, I'm, I'm not talking about the sanctified whatever. I'm talking about your flesh, that, that nasty part of us that God still needs to work on. The flesh doesn't talk to you with volume. We can rile ourselves up and obviously release volume. But I'm talking about like inside, inside the head, inside the heart. If we hear an actual voice with volume, how many of you know, when you're thinking, like right now, I just randomly thought about an elephant. When I'm thinking, that was quiet inside my head. There was no volume. Zero volume. Even if I'm riled up and angry, like the, 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 the thing inside of me can be... Argh. But it's, it, it doesn't have physical volume. When we're talking about if you actually hear a voice and it sounds like you're not sure if it was out there or in here and it was actually like booming, 99% of the time, 
a voice like that is going to be demonic in nature because the flesh doesn't speak with volume. So how do I know if I'm hearing my flesh or the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will impress upon my mind thoughts that are both of God and not natural to my normal way of thinking. In other words, they're thoughts that are full of life, full of scripture, calling me into greater abandonment to God. The voice of the Holy Spirit will promote obedience, self-denial, and the fruit of the Spirit, even in times of pressure. In other words, the Holy Spirit's not going to flip it, and when you're in pressure, be like, yeah, get him, right? The Holy Spirit's not going to be that voice inside of you that's like, yes, retaliate. Yes, prove that you're right, prove they're wrong, put them in their place. So why can't I hear a still small voice? There could be many reasons. One is sin, separating us from God. A lifestyle of sin hinders our ability to hear. Undeniably, it hinders our ability to hear and discern if God is speaking. Distractions can cause our heart and our mind to be so filled with other things that we also perhaps don't hear because we don't care. And think about this in light of this larger topic of pressure. In an atmosphere of heightened pressure, anxiety, and fear, our ability to dial down, deny our flesh, identify and renounce the narrative of demonic influence becomes difficult. But that's the very thing we need to do. In heightened pressure, we need to be able to dial down and say, God, your voice doesn't speak so chaotically and so loudly. So if I'm going to hear your voice, I'm going to have to step out of my engagement with the chaos, my engagement with fueling the negative emotions because I think that I'm entitled to it. So this puts a whole new light on the biblical exhortation to th take thoughts captive, to resist the devil, and so many other phrases like that in Scripture. Take thoughts captive, resist the devil. Because in real life, in real crisis, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You ever wonder what God's will is in the midst of chaos? Crisis, pain, pressure. Right here, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, this is God's will. Like this is so opposite of what we actually feel when we're in seasons of stress and pressure and pain. I mean, how many of us can dial down and rejoice? How many of us can pray without ceasing? Can in everything give thanks? So how else does God speak? God speaks to us through the Bible. It says all scripture is inspired by God in 2 Timothy 3.16. Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Romans 10.17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Like if we want faith, we've got to be able to engage with the right narrative. We've got to be able to engage with the word that feeds and then in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what, wh when are we least likely to dial down and open up our Bibles for instruction? Right? 
So I just said, one of the ways that we hear, that we hear God's voice, one of the ways that he speaks to us is through this. But let's look at the bigger picture. We're talking about times and seasons and moments of increased stress and pressure and anxiety and pain. In that context, are we likely to find a corner, open our Bible, say, flesh, shut up for a minute. I need to hear God and begin to read and say, God, feed me with words of life because what I'm receiving out here is a whirlwind of negative emotion and chaos. So how else does God speak? It said God, God speaks to us in times of prayer. So Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. When we are under pressure, if we pray at all, we are often tempted to vent, complain, and whine about our negative circumstances more than we are willing to dial down and cast our cares on the Lord. Like we know this, in times of pressure, if God speaks through prayer, if we stay in that mode of chaos, of, ah. See, the, 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 the crazy thing about the story of Israel and the Exodus is that what happened was when the increased oppression came, the Bible says that, that the, the foremen, the Israelite foremen, they went and complained to Moses. So they complained, or sorry, they, they, they went and complained to Pharaoh. They said, how are we supposed to get all of this done if you aren't giving us the right materials? So they complained to Pharaoh. Then they go, and the Israelite foremen, they meet with Moses and Aaron, and they complain to Moses and Aaron. They complain to Moses and Aaron, why, why, have, you, why have you done this to us? How dare you? You said, we, you said we would be freed, and it's worse. And then what does Moses do? Moses goes and takes that complaint, and Moses shakes his fist at God and says, you haven't delivered us. That's what happened. In other words, the ne negative sentiment and complaints travel fast. And leadership was not exempt. Moses himself went straight to God and complained and said, God, how dare you? You, you have not delivered us. The labor's got, the, 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 the workload has gotten harder. That should be a lesson to us. In the chaos, in pressure, it is most easy for our hearts to self-justify our way into having negative sentiment, to complain, to, to say, God, I just don't believe you. I don't believe that marriage is for life. Mine is too hard. I don't believe that you're good because, I've, because of this pressure and this loss and this, this crisis. And then that negative sentiment, not only does it stay within our hearts, it spreads. We take that negative sentiment and we spread it to others. And before you know it, everyone's complaining to God saying, where are you? And God hadn't changed. He still had a plan. So how else does God speak? He also speaks through other people. Proverbs 19 through 20, listen to counsel 
and accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your days. Listen to counsel and accept discipline. How many of you are like, yes, sign me up, sign me up. I want to be wise. Most of the time we hear that and we're like, should I, should I delete this from my sermon? Right, but it's true. God speaks through other people too. But in chaos and in crisis and in pressure, we are also least likely to seek to hear the word of the Lord through someone else because we're so caught up in the, in, in the internal pressure. And then we see also God speaks through prophecy, through dreams and visions. Acts 2.17, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. God speaks in a plethora of ways, from the still small voice, through his word, through other people, through counsel, but in all of it, all of the ways that God speaks, if we are agreeing with a narrative that is not God's, we will find ourselves on the, on the wrong side. We will find ourselves like Israel, shutting their heart down and saying, I don't believe you. Because of the weight of oppression, I can't believe the promise of deliverance. Even though God had literally released signs, water turning to blood, leprosy, snakes. So what did God do? In his faithfulness, he still delivered the people. He basically bypassed the people and said, I'm going to release signs. Believe me or not, I'm going to accomplish what I set out to accomplish. I'm not going to fail to be faithful to what I had declared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, the faithful God will still be faithful even in our, even in our failure to hear. Praise God. We need God's faithfulness. So we're going to have a time of prayer. All of us face times and seasons of crisis and pressure. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Doesn't matter what position or title you hold. We are all capable of feeling like we have accidentally or purposefully magnified a narrative that is not God's and come under not just external oppression, but come under oppression in our soul by putting more weight on the pressure than faith in God to deliver us. So Craig, I just invite you to come up. In the same way that earlier in the service we had people come forward for, for healing, for physical healing, the invitation now is if you need to be refreshed, if you need to be recalibrated, so to speak, of your soul saying, God, quiet the voice of the flesh and accusation, quiet the voice of demonic influence so that I can hear your voice, God. In that, so, I mean, we often, we need to repent of something. But whatever it is, the invitation is that, is that we would, would come forward and say, God, regardless of life circumstances, you're worthy of trust. You're worthy of worship. You're worthy of us believing what you've said, regardless of the oppression. So I just invite you all to stand. And if any of you would like to come forward and receive prayer, have someone lay their hands on you and pray that the voice of God would, would come clearer in your heart 
and the voice of self and the voice of of bitterness and anger and frustration, those voices that they would decrease. I just invite you to come forward and receive ministry. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 